0: This is In the Trenches, broadcast 11.
1: Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morkis.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is my friend, John Corcoran. John is an attorney and small business advisor with the Corcoran Law Firm, Outside of San Francisco, where he helps entrepreneurs, business owners, and real estate investors succeed. He's also the founder of Smart Business Revolution, where he helps online entrepreneurs succeed, both online and off. Early in his career, John served in the White House as a speechwriter and press aide for the governor of California, for a law firm in the heart of Silicon Valley, and at one point worked in Hollywood. So yeah, that's just a quick highlight uh, of John's background. But bottom line, this guy has a wealth of experience in writing and entrepreneurship and building relationships, and he really is an instigator, if I've ever met one, someone who starts, finishes, and ships projects um, seemingly all the time, just based on the little bit that I know about him. So John, thank you so much for uh, showing up today and and, uh, meeting with us today to have this conversation.
2: Wow, Tom, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, no, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So I'd like to get to know a
0: little bit more about you um, and, and for the audience to get to know a little bit about you and your background. So I just really brushed over all the crazy things that you've done. Uh, you don't have to go into too much detail um, where wherever you want, but tell us a little bit about the White House, Hollywood, and what essentially what led you to smartbusinessrevolution.com and what you're doing today.
2: Yeah, it's kind of a roundabout. It's not the mm-hmm. most normal transition, right? You know, Working sure. in Hollywood and then uh, working in politics in the White House and then that you where I'm now working with uh, uh, business owners and entrepreneurs but uh, you know I've always kind of followed what I'm interested in and um, I started out my career working in the entertainment industry. I'm from Los Angeles originally and um, mm-hmm. I like the creative expression of it. I started uh, working towards getting into development for um, you know productions for TV and for film. Um, but mm-hmm. I had also during college I'd interned in the White House speechwriting office uh, during the Clinton administration, and so I had kept in touch with some of the speechwriters there, and they called me up around the time. Uh, uh, actually, this was a year or two after I'd I'd graduated from college, um, and there was an opportunity. There was a. a, a, a opportunity as a writer there in presidential letters and messages was kind of like a second tier Mm -hmm. speechwriter, And so I jumped on it and I did that uh, near the end of the Clinton administration for almost two years. And um, it was a great opportunity. It's neat being there. You don't make very much money, but um, you might be on your way to the restroom and run into the President of the United States talking to the Premier of China or something like that in the hallway right so it 's pretty unusual uh, being there sure and then that and then that uh, just led to um, I wanted to come back to California, and there was an opportunity to be speechwriter for the Governor of California for. Um, Gray Davis, who was the guy who was uh, uh, outside of California, you you may not have heard of him, but he was the guy who was recalled by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, one thing's just kind of led to another and I ended up going to, back to law school and, and um, started my own law firm about a year and a half ago. So I I feel like an entrepreneur and I, I am an entrepreneur and I, I um, work with um, clients uh, as well. So it's kind of mm-hmm. what I do.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So what made you, I guess,
2: from D.C. or
0: back to uh, back to California, what made you want to become a lawyer at that point, after all that background in speech writing and, and writing in particular?
2: You know, honestly, it was um, when I was working in politics, I had all these great people that I worked with that were very smart and um, very talented. And um, a lot of them had law degrees. A lot of them were practiced, had been practicing lawyers or just had law degrees. And I saw the way they analyzed issues and the way they understood issues and understood the way the world worked and you know, I'd get into heated disagreements as tends to happen in mm-hmm. politics with people mm-hmm. who had lotteries or who were lawyers and I tend to tended to lose to those sorts of people. And I thought, well, maybe I should go to <laughs> law school so that I can uh, brush up on my skills. And um, so that's kind of how it came about and I didn't really know where it would lead me if it would lead me back mm-hmm. to politics or in some other direction. Um and it's kind of been an organic process. Um, but I yeah, one of the things was I'd always worked in government before, but I'd always felt like I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. It just took me a mm-hmm. while to get to that point, and so I'm glad mm-hmm. I am where I am right now. Absolutely. So, and and then on that
0: note, um, what. Made you transition then from, or not transition? I mean, you you still you still practice law with your your law firm, um, but working with say entrepreneurs in particular. What I guess what made you go that route as opposed to say going back to DC or
2: or practicing some other sort of law? You know, it it really was. I just took a look at the work that I'd done over the. Uh, beginning of my legal career, and um, I did a lot of civil litigation, which is really, you know, parties fighting parties, often over money or something like that or assets. And it's, it's okay, you know, it's great uh, representing people, um, but it didn't feel as uh, rewarding as it did to work with an entrepreneur who was focusing on building something. And so I just mm-hmm. kind of started to transition my career towards that and focus my efforts towards getting those types of clients. I really like small business owners who are, who are working their way up. I just enjoy working with them and being a part of their team. And you know, lawyers tend to be very expensive and um mm-hmm. but uh, lawyers who are in small firms like myself can be more competitively priced and can really provide a, a greater service and can kind of be like an ear to Uh, you know, for people, if they have a quick question, you can just answer it really quickly. So it feels a lot more productive and creative and rewarding to work with business owners and entrepreneurs in that way.
0: Right. And it seems to me like just off the bat, looking at it and and knowing you and seeing what you've done online and everything like that, that you have, um, an interesting, uh, I guess uh, angle in the market if if you might say that in that you are an entrepreneur yourself and what you're doing with Smart Business Revolution do you say do you think that that obviously would you say that that helps you um, in terms of getting clientele cuz people see that you're doing your own entrepreneurial pursuits and so they know they can relate to you. Does that help you at all?
2: That's a good question. You know, um, I think it probably has with some. There there are certainly some people who have come to me who said, hey, I've checked out what you're doing online and, you know, I have this legal issue. Can you help me with that? And, um, you know, so much of the way we communicate and keep in touch with people is done online these days. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I contribute to the Huffington Post and I write these articles and it's a great excuse to just put yourself out there and to remind people of what it is you do. So what I tend to find Mm -hmm. is I'll write something, I'll write like a feature on, on someone on the Huffington Post, and then I'll post it to my LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. And... I I don't know who's who all is reading it, but people in my network are reading it. And then often like three, four weeks later, I'll get a phone call from one of them who needs help with some legal issue, and they wouldn't have thought of me if they hadn't read that article. So that's where the real value comes in, is it's 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 a real subtle way of reminding people of what it is you do and that you're available. And then the next time an opportunity comes up and they need to either recommend you or they need... Um, your services than they think of you because they, you've been in front of them recently.
0: Sure, and actually that's a good point to bring up for all the listeners that are entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs and aspiring artists um, in terms of, one, getting your name out there, but also I'd say, two, which I, I find interesting listening to you, you, know, what you just said there about the Huffington Post is it sounds like you're pushing your content out there in the right medium and the right format and to the right audience, so that it helps you, um, succeed and helps people, um, contact you. So I guess what I'm saying is you're approaching it in, um, in the right way to gather the audience or the tribe that, that is important to you. So you're not just, you know, spitting out something in some random area online where nobody will find you. You're, you're being
2: pretty particular. It sounds like about what content you produce and where you produce it. That's right. And, um, that's, that's a key point. And I've I've certainly made my mistakes along the way, um, Mm -hmm. trying to, not really targeting uh, the the right areas. And it tends to happen sometimes. Maybe you meet someone at a social event, a face to face thing. And um, so then you get to know them. And so then you start hanging out around their blog and you start Um, Mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, maybe I'll interview them for my audience, but you really have to be choosy about these things because every different thing you do sends a message to your audience or you want it to, you know, because Mm -hmm. you want all your efforts to be building towards the end result that you want. And for me personally, the end result that I want is I want people who are small business owners or entrepreneurs who are interested in interacting and talking about those issues that are relevant to that audience. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, me going and um hanging out on a fitness blog is not going to be the right fit right, exactly but on the other hand me interviewing someone who started a fitness business or who's got a wildly successful fitness website that's interesting to my audience because My audience when I do, you know, my podcast audience in particular are other business owners and they like to hear what other business owners are up to, even if it's Mm -hmm. in a different field, because a lot of times there are similarities between what it is they're doing and what others are doing um, so that in that way it can be appropriate. But I've certainly made mistakes along the way.
0: Sure. Sure. No, I, I totally get that. I, I'm constantly, the question comes up in my mind anytime I create something is, you know, what what is the point of this that I'm doing or or this piece of content that I'm creating or this interview in particular, for example, like, what am I trying to get at with this? And obviously, for me, it comes back down to, you know, In the Trenches is a, a podcast on creativity, but also pursuing those, those difficult creative paths in life. So entrepreneurship, art, anything that, that requires that hard inner Creative work that honestly, I don't think most people appreciate just how hard it is, except those who are doing it, and that's why I call it in the trenches, right? So you, you and I are in the trenches. That's a great,
2: (laughs) it's a great metaphor. It's a great name for it, and um, you're right. It is, it is very difficult. It's being creative um, is a slog sometimes. You know, I mean, and and, you know, ever a lot of people who are trying to produce creative works, you know, it often doesn't pay well until you're at the really high echelon. Um, exactly. And so you're doing it on the side. You're doing it around family or relationships or friendships. Or you're doing it, it in the morning before your job or in the evening after your job or while you're at yep, work or something. Exactly. like Exactly. And um, it's a real slog. You got to remain real committed to it. Yeah. It's and it, I've always found
0: it just kind of fascinating because um, I was actually thinking about writing a, a blog post on this. I don't know if I'll get around to it, but just how it seems to be human nature that we look at all the successful people that have already done it. And we say, wow, you know, look at look at and these guys that have already made it, these guys and girls that are uh, up there that, that are at the top. Um, you know, how do they do it? And then you might hear a little bit about their backstory. And it's like, well, I did A and then B and then C. But what you don't really see is that day-to-day grind, is that they were probably grinding it out for years. And it seems like that's the part that's um, often overlooked. And we see these people that are successful, but we don't see the day-to-day just – absolute battle that they had to go through every step of the
2: way. Yeah. And, and I've been fortunate, especially living in San Francisco, that I've gotten to know a number of people who are very successful online. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the slog continues. It doesn't ever end. Mm -hmm. Um, There Mm -hmm. might be some ways in which they can stop doing certain things, but they're quickly filled up with other things they need to do, like keeping their tribe um, active and involved and engaging with them. I mean, you know, right. uh, I know, you know, Pat Flynn, who I interviewed uh, yep. recently and did a Huffington mm-hmm. Post article on. And he gets hundreds and hundreds of emails and tweets and Facebook messages and YouTube messages and everything a day. And it occupies a huge amount of his time. I know it's very difficult for him. So it's a real challenge. So, you know, it it in, in a lot of ways, it doesn't get easier for people as they get larger. It actually gets harder. And then you have to start. Um, working with contractors and having other people come on who help you mm-hmm. to manage all that um, so it it can get very difficult i mean i you know um, that 's just some, something that you have to consider uh, that the creative process it you know if you find it difficult now um, in a lot of ways it's actually it can be easier if you 're on your way up if you haven 't got a big audience of people right at that point absolutely
0: two points I want to touch on there is one yeah i i I think that was something I was particularly um, focused on myself um, when I started. Was just that, hey, you know, I can fail a million times, and who's going to see it, right? You know, this this small audience when I first started out. If, if anybody, um, there's, and when you think about it that way, when you're just starting out, you can you can fail, and there's there's no real pressure. I mean, there there is. We always create internal pressure, but the truth is, it's something that I think anybody starting out should definitely deeply value uh, the fact that they can do a lot of creative. Um, interesting things that might not work whereas the established those who are established with a particular brand or a particular spot um, in the entrepreneurial world or or artistic world are kind of stuck you know we're not stuck that's probably a bad way to put it but they're they've already established themselves so they can't really do as much creative um, groundbreaking uh, status quo challenging stuff as the the small person starting out you know what i mean yeah
2: that's absolutely true and um I think you should embrace those failures because Mm -hmm. you can learn so much from doing those sorts of things. But it all starts with just getting yourself out there. You know, it starts with writing that blog post or writing a guest blog post or, uh, you know, starting a podcast and interviewing people and practicing because, you know, I'm sure the first time you jumped out of a helicopter, you didn't do it as well as the hundredth time you know right? <laughs> yeah exactly so it's very yeah true. so you so, know so. We're, not, we're not all naturally or maybe you're naturally good at that I don't know but you know so no keep, I
0: I, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I'm actually terrified every time I jump out <laughs> I I am it's sc- every time I every time I do it it's always scary but I think that uh, that's why it relates to entrepreneurship so well, well too. well and, it keeps, and it, keeps it, tight, too. Yeah. it keeps you tight too keeps you tight yeah yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, so,
2: people who are who are actors who are on you know live productions on Broadway, they they're terrified before they go on stage every time.
0: Yep, and and that's the thing. I mean, I guess you could argue that maybe with enough uh, experience that goes away, but I know I've met some people that that's not the case. It's, it's always it's always uh, scary, um, and this goes for anything. I mean, I'm not just talking about helicopters, but but anything that's that's scary to the person, um, to, you know, uh, going on stage, being in front of an audience, trying to do something creative and putting your work out there. Like these are all creative, um, like scary things. And to me that, that fear has never subsided, but I know that I can deal with it. And every, every time I deal with it, it's just another reminder in the back of my mind, well, I've done it before I could do it again. And that's, that's it. Like it never gets easier, but I do have that reminder now and I have built up that experience, but it doesn't actually ever get um, less scary, you, I guess. It's the, you know,
2: that talking. adrenaline is the greatest thing in the world. I think that in a lot of ways, the, uh, I say this to people all the time who are struggling in a p- particular profession or job or career or something that they're not enjoying that much is you need to harness that because the worst thing that can happen to you is to be just ambivalent or to be mm-hmm. just accept what you have. When you're not mm-hmm. totally satisfied with it. There are so many people that, um, you know, maybe they're unhappy in a particular job that they're in or in a, a lot in life that they're in. And so they mm-hmm. go and get a new job and then it's more satisfactory, but it's still not what they really want. But it's acceptable. And that's, in my opinion, that's a, the worst possible thing. So I'm always saying to people, if you're mm-hmm. unhappy with your lot in life or your job or whatever, harness that. To mobilize yourself to write that book, or to start that blog, or to start that podcast, or to go back to grad school, or to go to law school, or to join the United States military, or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you need to do that's going to um, make you a happier person in life. It's it's you really need to heart, and then you need to harness that adrenaline and that mm-hmm. that uh, that emotion that's inside of you, so that you can be a more true expression of who you want to be.
0: Absolutely. It reminds me of Thoreau's quote, um, the massive men lead lives of quiet desperation. And when you don't, when you are, I, I, I know so many people that get fed up with their jobs, they get fed up with whatever they have in life. But you're right. Um, I, I, I see so many of them just really just say, well, but I, I'm going to accept that this is just what I've, I've got. And that's just something I got to deal with. But I think there's a lot of power in harnessing that. Um, dissatisfaction to go create something. Honestly, yeah. I think that's where some of the most brilliant creations come from—is that dissatisfaction and, and and harnessing that energy and that, like you said, adrenaline into something productive. I think there's a lot of
2: brilliance that comes out of yeah, that. Yeah, and you know, you get a feeling of satisfaction off of a job well done um, in a way that you you probably don't in other ways in your life. I know for me personally, that's why I write is because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm done with a piece and I ship it and it's available online mm-hmm. for people to read or it's available in print for people to read and people read it and then I get feedback from people that they enjoyed what I wrote. That's just really powerful to me and I, I love that feeling and it it lasts for a little while and eventually it dissipates and then I got to write something else. Yeah,
0: Yep. It's so funny. It's so true. That's exactly how I, how I feel too. Um, every time I, I publish or I, even on my podcast or, uh, on the podcast, but then on the blog and anything else that I do it's a sh- for that short, as soon as I, it's funny though, I, I go through a certain, um, I don't know what you call it, like a certain stages of, of creation. Um, and, and in the beginning, it's a lot of excitement with the first, I- the, I- the initial idea then I start to work on it, and I'm not so excited anymore, and then I'm like halfway through it, and I'm like, "This is awful and then I'm towards the end, and I'm like, "I should just give up, and then I ship it, and I'm like that was just that was terrible, and then I look at it again, and I'm like, "Okay, that wasn't so bad and then it's it's time to start again,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a great framework that's pretty much how it how it feels a lot of the time. Um, you know, well, I, I commonly, I don't know who said it, but someone said that no writing's ever finished. It's just abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. how I feel about a lot of stuff that I do. I just abandon it, mm-hmm. you know, and then you look, yeah, I mean, if, if in, I'm working on a book right now, um, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping to complete it, mostly write it and complete it, uh, first quarter of next year. And, um, right. when I finally do, I know that it'll be done. It'll be on a shelf. And if I pick it up, I'm gonna want to mark it up and rewrite it. It'll never be finished, you know, (laughs) just the way it is. I totally agree. Yep, I'm the
0: same way with every everything I do, and it's kind of the curse. But that's also why, in a very like specific uh, context, like blogging is kind of interesting because it forces you to to ship. And I mean, I guess you can still. I've done this before. This is how bad I am. I've gone back days or weeks later into old content i've written i've like rewritten it i don't know why because it's already published but like i'm like i don't like how i said that and it's not like anybody else is really going to notice especially if it's been out there for for weeks or months but i don't know I, it's something i got to deal with on a on a personal scale my perfectionist attitude on those kind of things so it's kind of difficult to deal with
2: yeah and that's the hard thing about a blog is it's so easy to go in and change it right you know mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. easier if it's like somewhere else or if it's in print or something because then it's like oh well you know i can't change it now Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, let's jump into to your book a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. Eh? We were talking beforehand, um, for the listeners out there, we were just talking about it uh, just before this uh, um, interview uh, started. And I found it a pretty fascinating take on really on entrepreneurship and, and the angle that you're coming from. So, John, tell us about that.
2: Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, you know, at the heart of it, and I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about the um, smart business revolution, but... Um, at the heart of it is really what who are you serving and and how can you provide value and and assistance to them and I and you know my clients um I I work with mostly entrepreneurs and business owners and and um I started reading business books because I thought it would be helpful to have a, those different perspectives when I'm working with my clients and I've read so many good Uh, books by Jim Collins and Dan Pink and Malcolm Gladwell Mm -hmm. and all these different authors. And I realized that nearly every metaphor for business success has been written about already. You know, you take war, the military, uh, athletics is a big one, athletic competition, coaching. You even get down to rock climbing, which is something Jim Collins writes about frequently, Mm -hmm. or even infectious disease. The tipping point But Malcolm Gladwell was uh, was talking Mm -hmm. about how uh, infectious disease is a metaphor for business in many ways. But I realized that no one had really done a thorough review of how political strategy and tactics in campaigns and even in governing can instruct and, and is instructing and informing uh, businesses and how businesses are using those types of uh, techniques uh... to great success and so what i've been doing is i've been interviewing people who have inhabited both worlds both politics and business and ways in which they use techniques that they use in the political world also in the business world and it can be you know it's everything from branding to you know having a core purpose for your campaign your candidate or your business uh... differentiation uh... discipline ways in which campaigns are disciplined and how that affects uh... things Uh, campaigning, uh, you know, all all those, these are all issues that are relevant, uh, both to the political world and to the business world. Um, And, and I think that they can be really good examples for people who are entrepreneurs, and who maybe have a little bit of political junkie in them, and uh, like to see examples and ways in which, you know, really practical, actionable advice that they can use for their business. So it's it's aimed to be an, an entertaining book because I'm going to use lots of stories, but it also mm-hmm. is at its core is hopefully going to be a helpful book that will help people to think about ways they can improve their own business.
0: Well, just listening to your description of it, I'm already excited and I'll be uh, lining up to pre-order. Thank so. you. All <laughs> right. That sounds good. <laughs> Absolutely, John. Maybe we'll have you on the show when you do uh get to the, the publishing point. Are you actually looking to do it conventionally or how how are you going about that? I'm curious. That's a great
2: question. I'm not sure. And I've um I've done a bunch of interviews with people mm-hmm. recently and um I'd love to hear your thoughts on it since you just uh published yeah. your your book through the Amazon Kindle platform. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to do the Amazon Kindle platform. Um I'm I'm probably leaning more towards self publishing, honestly
0: um right no no, i i think there's a lot of power in that and uh yeah it's it's something i just recently did and i had a a decent amount of success with it, and i I enjoy the amount of creative control i have over it there's also an underlying power to it um too which is that just because you initially self-publish it doesn't mean you couldn't eventually pick up a publisher that way well obviously there's dozens of um, case studies on that but one of them that pops in my head even though i'd Rather not mention it, it would be like the the fifty shades of yellow or whatever the book is called i 'm just kidding I know it 's fifty shades <laughs> of gray, but that was initially that was initially uh, um, just uh, a self published book mm-hmm. and then it it obviously started selling and, and a, a major publisher picked it up to to publish all yeah of them.
2: well the but the funny thing though is that i 'll bet the the authors, even when they go to traditional publishers they aren 't making any more money because i 've actually negotiated exactly. on behalf of my clients. Uh, book mm-hmm. contracts. And I've looked very closely at them with traditional publishers. And a lot of them are not very good. I mean, the terms are horrible. You get like 10% yes. of the sales. And if that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, really low. So yep. you can you can sell a book for nine ninety nine with a traditional publisher. And you probably would make more money selling that book for $0.99 cents on the Amazon Kindle platform, where you're making Seventy percent of that ninety-nine cents, um, you'd probably make more money um, selling it for ninety-nine cents than nine ninety-nine. That's what a lot of people found. There's an author named John Locke who's had a bunch of success. Who is yeah, um, pretty well known for that. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. I was actually just kind of crunching some of my own numbers recently, basing um, some of the the money I made off of self-publishing versus had I had this little book that I put together you know been published by a big publisher right this this fictional kind of what if basing it on uh some some generic contracts that I've seen out there say for a trade paperback it's like you get six percent or seven percent of the first thousand copies sold or something like that and it's based it's totally it's totally subjective based on the uh, publishing house and the deals but just based on those numbers i I you know broke it down I would have had to sell like something like five hundred to a thousand books to have made the amount of money I made selling just the less than a hundred that I've sold so far. Yeah. It just puts it in perspective. You realize you, you don't, you don't need that. You know, it just, it kind of blows your mind, I yeah. guess, when you put it that yeah. way.
2: Well, um, I think right now there's a huge opportunity in the market for businesses that want, that kind of are not traditional publishing houses, um, uh, but are, but are serving that market of people who want to write on the Amazon Kindle platform and other platforms out there. And I actually interviewed some guys, Hollis Carter and Johnny Andrews, on my podcast um, that Mm -hmm. started a publishing house called Velocity House Publishers, which Mm -hmm. does that, which partners with authors but helps them with all the other aspects that an author – doesn't want to get involved in, including getting down to the level of even testing different cover art to see what's going to sell more effectively so that when they finally get it published to the Amazon Kindle store, that they know that the cover art that they've selected is going to be very effective or testing different titles, testing different subtitles, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, that's actually my next project is is a, a a boutique publisher like that. So I'm I'm very excited to uh to do something like that and 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 take it back to that level where publishing is very uh, intimate with the, uh, you know, getting into the the nitty gritty with the author and that it's a mutually beneficial relationship where it's more artisan as opposed to mass media. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah,
2: and Guy Kawasaki likes he he prefers calling it artisanal publishing to self publishing, mm-hmm. which I think is a great term, emphasizing mm-hmm. the craft nature of it.
0: Mm hmm. Exactly.
2: So, yeah, I know I'm, I'm
0: excited to be working on that. And who knows, maybe I'll I'll uh, be able to uh, publish your yeah. book, John.
2: We'll talk yeah. later about that. <laughs> that <though. sounds> <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm excited cool. about it. I, it yeah. Writing a book has been that's one of the failures of my life, so, my life so far that I haven't written a book and I've always wanted to. I've always been a writer and I've always wanted to get a book done. And I've just never had the time or the focus or or the I've started books before, but never finished them. And so this is one that I'm really kind of committed to because it complements everything I'm doing professionally. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still a war, as you know, it's still a war to get it done. I've got a two and a half year old son at home and a wife Mm -hmm. and a busy practice and all kinds of other stuff going on. So you got to carve out the time to do it.
0: And, and on that note, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you got to get going pretty soon. I have one more question for you though, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, well, one, I, I would also say, too, about your book. You know, you mentioned you, you're not and you I wish you had written it already or that you, you had already written a book, but it sounds like you're in the perfect position right now in life to create the the, the book that you're meant to write, which is um, another way to view it, too. So I'm excited to see what you come up with. But uh, also on that note, would what would you say in terms of for the the aspiring artist for the aspiring entrepreneur for the inspiring, uh, aspiring writer,
2: um, just starting out. Do you have any piece of advice for them? Yeah. Um, one thing that I've done recently that has really helped tremendously is been planning. Um, you know, it's the, I think the most difficult thing to do as a writer or an artist is to just have a blank empty canvas in front of them and say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to start creating art. Um, Because we all, as human beings, have got different responsibilities, different things we want to achieve, and no matter what medium you're working on, no matter what art you're working on, there are probably different projects that you have in mind and different uh, types of uh, projects that you want to complete, you know, be it, uh, maybe you have an article on a particular topic, and then an article on another topic, and then an ebook you want to write, all these different things. But... What I started doing is planning a lot more deliberatively um, in, in terms of work that I have to do and even down to the point of identifying time in my schedule when I'm going to work on writing. Um, and mm-hmm. I found that makes a big difference, um, devoting that, that – you know taking the extra time – and it could be 15 minutes at the beginning of your day or it could be a half an hour at the beginning of your week – to just to plan out how are you going to spend time your week. And you, you take a look and see, okay, oh, good. So on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I can spend a half an hour at 7 in the morning working on this article that I want to work on. And this is my highest priority. This is the article that I really want to get done. And make, taking that time in advance to plan and to plot ahead I think makes a big difference um, and you end up getting a lot more done than you would if you hadn't done the planning in advance.
0: I couldn't agree more. I, I'm the same way in that I, I, I know uh, how much more effective it is when I do do that. I'm, I'm liable not to, of course. Some weeks I'm just totally off and I'm just seeing what happens but the the weeks where I structure it, it's night and day. So I completely agree. I think that's great advice, Yeah. John. yeah.
2: Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on, Tom. I really enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely John is there any um, anything you want to say in terms of uh shout outs or uh, or putting your your work out there where people can find you and I'll make sure to include it in the show notes Sure
2: yeah I mean well people best place to check me out is smartbusinessrevolution.com and uh mm-hmm. you know that's where I I write my blog pieces I have links to other pieces elsewhere like in the Huffington Post and um you know I interview uh entrepreneurs as well on there I've interviewed um Guy Kawasaki and Dan Pink are authors and, and entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and, and um, yeah, I hope people will check it out. But thanks so much for having me on. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it.
0: And that wraps up In the Trenches, Broadcast 11 with John Corcoran. If you're interested in the show notes or finding out more about John, go to tomworkiscom backslash broadcast 11. That's broadcast 11. One, one. As always, I hope this inspires you to start, finish, and ship your next project and to create your life's work. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance.
1: Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the Resistance.